On this episode of Wild in the Streets, we're headed to Marseille with Jean-Paul Belmondo as he battles crime and corruption in 1983's The Outsider. Hello and welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the ace of aces, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? You know, I'm pretty good. Uh, it's 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 a weird time in the world, Doug. I feel kind of mm. discombobulated in general. But I gotta say, I do love watching weird, fun, possibly fascist movies with you. <laughs> it is something that we're going to talk about a little bit later, that you know we've been doing this podcast for probably a couple of years now. Um, mm-hmm. And it, as we said, when we first started it, we didn't have much experience with Eurocrime movies generally. And we had, we, you know, we really voiced our, our fears going in. And a lot of those fears were, oh, these are going to be fascistic. You know, they're all influenced by Dirty Harry. It's all about a cop who, you know, is, is unstoppable and plays by his own rules and beats up suspects and stuff like that. And one of the nice things about this podcast up to this point is that it hasn't always been like that. It really has had a real wide variety in terms of its perspectives. Sometimes it feels like it's it, the, the the filmmakers are taking more of a left-wing position, sometimes more right-wing, but it's not as consistent as I think we thought from the beginning. However, the movie that we're going to be talking about today basically fulfills all of our worst fears while, I mean, I'm not going to give away too much about my thoughts on it, but I will say while also being shockingly entertaining at the same time. Well, I think it is one very strong difference for me, Doug, which is that, um, you know, your Clint Eastwoods, your Charles Bronsons, these folks, you believe in them because of their unwavering uh, grit, right? They are right. tough, they are whatever. And while we are meant to believe that uh, the outsider played by Belmondo is gritty and tough. I believe we're meant to believe in him because he's so fucking charming that yeah. his supremacy and his right to enact his will on, you know, whatever French town he finds himself in is just because he's that charming. Like, you just have to put up with it. And it's like, it's, it's to me kind of the opposite. Like, the reason <laughs> I think that the characters that both uh, Clint Eastwood and Charles Bronson portrayed charm people so much in America wasn't that occasionally they had good one-liners or occasionally they were funny. It was more of their steely, their stony exterior. That's right. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Belmondo's like, yeah, I might beat some people up without the right to do so, but come on, you love me, don't you? And right, I think France is like, right, yeah. He's not stoic at all about it. That's right. And I think your average <laughs> Frenchman is watching it going, with that much charm, he can beat anyone up he wants to. That's right. He can do, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, there's a lot of 80s action movies Right. There was just as much of the a leanings towards it in the U.S. I mean, so you can see why it would it would have. Uh, uh, I mean, the, probably the influence went both ways to one extent or another. I also like that there's a, clearly a cruising inspired gay bar scene. Oh my god, one hundred percent. Well, and 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 in a and in a way, we'll get to this. Actually, I don't want to ruin it too much, but I will say, while this does follow a lot of the things we were anxious about, I would also say it doesn't because. There are a number of communities that, though they are othered because they're different from Belmondo, they're not othered as much as they would be in any other contemporary American film. Like if That's these true. same scenes were in an American movie, obviously not cruising, but movies like this one, they would be treated like these are the worst motherfuckers ever. And we, we're just waiting for our hero to beat someone up or shoot them or whatever. And with Belmondo, he's kind of like, I don't care about that. Like, it just doesn't bother him. And I think that's something we'll talk about, like what that means for the movie, which, you know, still, though, I will say, Doug, it is, you know, worth pointing out <laughs> when we were talking about, you know, borrowing from those cop movies. This is doing that. This is very yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Hey, have you seen? The Dirty Harry movies. Have you seen? You know this. We're we're kind of doing that, but also even more fun action. And also, I'm Belmondo, so I'm going to jump out of a fucking helicopter. Yes, we'll we'll get into all that and some of that in just a moment. I want to mention this is our first episode of Wild in the Streets where we are not watching an Italian Eurocrime movie. This right. is not a Plutoteschi. This is a French crime movie. And I do have to say, 
this is a genre, even compared to the Eurocrime movies that we've been covering, that I have very, very little experience with. And that is actually one of the reasons I suggested. I think, I don't know if you were skeptical about the, the suggestion of moving outside of the Italian movies, Liam, but after Jean-Paul Belmondo died a couple of years ago, um, there was just a, a lot of of celebration of his career and and talk of his movies generally. And I knew him as an actor, but I knew him almost strictly from his French New Wave movies with Godard, specifically Breathless. But I mean, you know, that era, I didn't really know much of his action work. So I really wanted an opportunity to get into that. So we're usually we have this kind of Bible that we use for the show generally, the Italian crime filmography by Roberto Curti. We can't use that for this one. So we're going to work without a net to a certain extent. So I hope listeners will forgive us if we get anything wrong. But in this opening segment, I want to talk a little bit more about this Jean-Paul Belmondo. Liam, how much experience do you have uh, with him as an actor? And uh, the charm that you were talking about that he carries, does that kind of work for you in the context of this movie? Well, I know him, same as you, more from, like, specifically Breathless, uh, uh, Perot La Fou, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I believe I've seen one of his um, more action-y films, but I don't remember which one it was. But I, I, I think that's the case because I remember watching a French crime film and thinking, wait, is that the fucking guy from Breathless? Like, I was confused, right? Because right? Right? I wasn't aware of his name at the time, per se. And that was before I had seen um, uh, Perot Le Fou, which we covered on on Cinepunks. And mm-hmm. so uh, uh, I knew that he did other movies. I was unaware until, um, honestly, we were listening to the... I was listening to the uh, commentary on this film done by friend of the show, Sam Deegan, that he had done such a broad variety. You know, I figured, oh, I know him from these artsy films, and I guess later in his career, he did some action stuff. But One of the great things about that commentary, by the way, is the way that it shows how someone who started in these very artistically minded movies became like a mainstream celebrity and really mm-hmm. rode that wave into and, and you know sam does a really good job of showing how oh he broke through with this and this and this and then he made these and these movies and you can really see trace it through because in my brain it's like oh he went from breathless to this how could this possibly be the same actor right but she really makes a case that almost his whole career he was covering a lot of different exactly. angles and a lot of different mm-hmm. things and i think that's inspiring i will say it does work for me with this film, and we'll talk more about that. But in a weird way, this feels like the sort of um, the sort of like uh, uh, vanity project oh, yes. that that I would expect from more of a like a Sylvester Stallone type. But like with Stallone, I don't care how good Rocky is, which I do love Rocky. He hasn't earned actually ever in my mind the amount of fucking vanity projects he's done, like the ways that he's tried to mythologize himself. That that's not earned. In the case of Belmondo, I'm watching this going, I don't know, maybe he deserves to do this. Like, even though this whole movie is kind of about like, yo, aren't I the cool sure I'm fifty, but I'm the coolest, right? Look at these fucking leather jackets. Look at this punk belt. I have a spiky <laughs> punk belt on. I'm fifty years old. Come on. He's fifty years old. And like I just think there are probably people watching this movie who prefer his art films, but are still going, Well, he he deserves this actually. That's fine. <laughs> And so, like that's that was my, and I don't know, I don't, I'm not in much enough of an expert of his career. Like I said, I've only seen a few of his things, but now that I know the variety of work he did and for how long, I do kind of wonder, like maybe he can just make what, or obviously not now he's passed away, but like when he was alive, maybe he could just make whatever he wanted. Like who, who's the judge? Like let the man cook, like whatever he wants to do. Let, let sounds the man great. cook. Yeah. You know what was funny is the actor that I thought of most while watching this movie. Sure. Was Bruce Lee. Because oh. of the way that Bruce Lee was always presented in his movies was that he is unfuckwithable, right? Like you just can't right. get one on him it, unless the other person is just like cheating and or like have outnumbered him ridiculously, though usually with Bruce Lee, even outnumbering him doesn't really do anything. He's just treated like the king in every scene he's in. And that is kind of how he's presented in this movie. He is – he. I the other th- thing I thought of, and this is a very nerdy thing to think, is that he – he approaches the world in the outsider uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo's character like he has a cheat code, like he can't be hurt, right? Like, like, like right. he doesn't. He has no fear going into these situations where that are horrifically dangerous. But he's just like whatever. Like he doesn't sweat anything, and he only gets upset when oh no, a friend of mine has gotten hurt, and and sometimes you know indirectly because of something he's done. But just generally, it's just like these other people are vulnerable, and I worry about that. But in terms of myself. 
hey, I'm Jean-Paul Thelwando. I'm the outsider. No one can screw with me. And I just thought it was it was funny and endearing in a way while also feeling like a vanity project. Like like someone had to craft this movie to be like every time he's on screen, there's a woman drooling over him or there's all these these guys who are like, look at this piece of shit. I'm going to take him on and then completely getting outclassed at every moment. Though I have to say, it does appeal to something very primal in myself to see someone who, you know, is always one-ups people who are, you know, presented as bad in the context of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I think that it is it is not quite as alienating as it could be when it comes to people who are not Belmondo, you know, not, right. not not his character, right? Like it's not totally like all these people are are scum that must be washed from the earth. It's that he's going to do whatever the fuck he wants, and if you get in his way, it's going to be a problem, and that's just how it is. And you know, you trust that he wants good things, which is sort of the basis of these kind of cop movies, right? <laughs> uh, uh, we're getting really into the movie here, Doug. This is supposed we to are, be a yeah. prelude. No, uh, you're right. Let's, let's just say I'm not convinced. That I know that I know of an American actor that could pull off this script. I think that uh, again, I'm not an expert on his full career, but I'm not surprised that uh, uh, this someone with this much experience could walk into this thing that is clearly just meant for him to look cool uh-huh. and not look like a total dingus, right? Yes. Because I think the problem with vanity projects is that you know they're a vanity project because it doesn't stand on its own. Because you're watching it going, come on, motherfucker, really? Like, this is what you wanted to do? Like, you look stupid, not cool. And what makes me say this is kind of a vanity project is that I'm watching it going, I don't know, man, this seems justified. He might be this cool. Like, I don't know, actually. Like, but this might not be a fake. It might not right. be a faint. This might just be... I'm not a cop, but I am very cool, actually. So this just reflects how cool I actually am. But, uh, you know, I will only know that, Doug. And I think we can both uh, uh, sort of commit to this. I need to watch more of his movies. Yeah, like it's a, it's a massive career. And while I don't know all these movies, a lot of them I do know. And I just haven't seen them yet. And so there's no real reason that I'm not more familiar with his his uh, work. But I will say the two things I know very well, I do like a lot. Even if they're, he's at least uh, uh, Pro Lafou, he, his, his, he's not that guy. He's like almost the opposite of this guy in that movie. <laughs> but maybe that shows what a great actor he is, you know? I, I do have to say, even though we just kind of touched on it, but we'll get into it more in just a moment. Part of the reason he can get away with the vanity projectness of this is the fact that he's obviously so physically able, you know, and that he's doing a lot of his own stunts. Of course, that's one of the things he's best known for, but just that he's doing so much generally in it. And it's like, well, I guess he's a badass. He's fallen out of a helicopter. He's he's jumping on the back of a boat. I guess he's a, he is everything that we think he is. And it kind of crosses that line between, oh, this this character is a badass and this actor that we already like is a badass, even if he's just this 50-year-old guy wearing tight pants. Liam, let us take a break. <laughs> uh-huh. When we return, we're actually going to talk about the movie proper. It's 1983's The Outsider, right after this. Si Paris a parachuté ce style de commissaire à Marseille, c'est que ce style répond à de nouveaux critères. J'arrive à établir la collusion entre Mekachi et les machinations. Remonte des machinations au crime et du crime à Mekachi. Le commissaire Philippe Jordan. Eh bien, je ne veux plus en entendre parler. Elle est entièrement blindée. Ah bon Et s'il a eu une jeunesse agitée je lui promets une vieillesse paisible pendant 20 ans qu'on s'entraîne. Je me présente, Jordan. Commissaire Jordan. Commissioner Jordan arrives in Marseille to combat drug trafficking activities in his own unique way. It's 1983's The Outsider, a.k.a. Le Marginal in France. And in Italy, uh, Liam, it was known as Profession Poliziato, uh, which uh, certainly fits in with their style of titling. Uh, there's actually I have a really lengthy uh, plot summary here, but all you really need to know is that Belmondo plays this commissioner who... Uh, worked in a large police force, but because he plays by his own rules, he's been sent to Marseille, and he's just going to do whatever he wants <laughs> to track down the criminals that he dislikes to their very core. And the big baddie of this movie is played by a very recognizable figure. 
that's uh, Henry Silva uh, playing Xavier Mikaki, <laughs> Machachi, probably Machachi. Um, and he he plays a very similar role to what he would play in a lot of those Italian films that we've discussed so far, and also consistent with those movies that we've talked about so far is the score by Ennio Morricone, which I'm sure we'll talk about in just a little bit as well. This was directed by Jacques Duray, who we have not uh, encountered so far. He'd been making French crime movies basically the entirety of his career, right back to the early 60s, uh, and uh, had worked with uh, Alain Delon and Belmondo himself several times previously. This was kind of in the midst of his uh, particularly fruitful part of his career working with Belmondo. Belmondo was just doing a series of these kind of action-oriented movies. This one doesn't really have a comedic bent, but a lot of his movies at this time period did. This is written by Jacques Doré, Jean Herman, and Michel Odiard. And yes, stars Jean-Paul Belmondo as Philippe Jordan, uh, Henry Silva. And there's... I didn't really recognize the faces of any other actor in this, but that just shows my ignorance to kind of French films of this time period generally. But Liam, we've been dancing around it a little bit. I think we have a general idea that we both enjoyed this, but tell me more. What did you think of The Outsider? I mean, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it, Doug. I enjoyed the movie. And the reason I think it's hard to admit that is because when we say this is exactly what we were talking about, <laughs> it's not just that this is that this is copaganda. In fact, you could have the rogue cop movie that's actually kind of an anti-cop movie, right? That, sure. that your rogue cop is such an anti-hero that you are actually suggesting that the system is flawed. In this movie, right, we get that theme that is often the case in a lot of these uh, more right-leaning cop movies in that the only thing keeping our inspector, Jordan, or he's not inspector, he's a commissioner, Jordan. Commissioner, that's right. From basically getting all the bad guys is bureaucracy, right? Yeah. And that bureaucracy is his impediment. And the problem with that is in the context of a cop movie, that often means the bureaucracy that upholds the civil rights of citizens is the problem. In this movie in particular, that's what that represents. <laughs> yes. I will say what this movie does that might make it easier in some ways is that me many of the people enforcing the bureaucracy in his way are also corrupt, right? Yes. They are working with the criminal. Now, that might actually have a negative effect in some ways because it's like, uh, it, it suggests maybe that all bureaucracies are connected to criminals, or maybe it just says, "Well, this isn't a wider issue. This is just an issue in this case because they're corrupt." I don't know. I don't. I don't know about that. But I will say that I'm more uncomfortable with movies that just suggest that any bureaucracy in place to protect the rights of individual citizens is in and of itself against justice, sure. which sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. I'd argue a lot of these movies, that's what the central point of the movie is, is that if only we didn't respect the rights of people, uh, then we could finally live in a safe world because then all these good guys with guns could go around and shoot all the bad guys, right? And that's obviously a fucking nightmare scenario. However, it doesn't matter that it's a nightmare scenario when you have Belmondo in a different fucking leather jacket every few <laughs> scenes and his spiky belt. I don't know. I want to know who fucking costume designed his <laughs> outfits where they're like, let's see, 50 year old man. Let's put him in this spiky belt. This seems cool. Kids are into these belts. And so he's just walking around, swaggering, being a guy. Now, is is he? He's charming, Doug. He's still a bit of a dick. Like that, of course. in order to be the road cop, you have to be a little bit of a dick. But a lot of the people he's a dick to are shitty, right? Yep. Like we we see that they are bad. He's not just mean to people to be effective. He's mean to people. And a couple times he's mean to people who like maybe we think have it coming. Uh, you know, the 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 scene that really is meant to justify him as not just a vigilante force, but a vigilante force for good is when he beats up that cop who's hitting the sex worker, right? Yeah. He, this man is just hitting this woman for no reason, really, and trying to demand answers through violence. And, you know, uh, uh, Belmondo as as Jordan, right, is, just attacks this guy in a way that's meant to belittle him, right? And I think that is one of the cases we're supposed to see that, like, even if we think this amount of power that he has, which apparently is over life and death because he's never going to be hurt ever. <laughs> It's it's not that dangerous because he's a he's at heart a good dude, I guess. Right. And of course, that's a problem. Like my intellectual brain is saying this is such a fucking jerk off for 
him and for cops in general. And I, I really don't like all this, you know, negativity towards civil rights. And I was, it really kind of bums me out. And especially because even in the end, he just murders a guy without really any reason, right? <laughs> well, it's, he's got a good reason to kill him. Right. But without any legal fact, justification. Without any legal justification. And the movie's like, like unequivocally murdering this guy was the right thing to do. And hey, this guy's super cool for murdering this guy. Yeah, I mean that's the real, literally what sort of the movie is. Like but, if this was a if this was even a Dirty Harry movie, right? At the end, he's throwing his badge in the water. He's like, I just can't work within the system. In the case of his Belmondo's character, he's like, Oh, I'll work within the system. I'll just kill whoever I want. I mean, he was literally like, <laughs> I would have done this at the beginning of the movie, but I finally have a gun that's like not my gun. And I gotta gonna... say, Liam. By the way, that's like the coolest gun I think it I've is ever so seen. Fucking it is cool. so. I don't like guns, man. I mean, I think we probably have said that many times previously, but that that gun was so cool that I just couldn't stop looking at it. Was, it was very cool. <laughs> this movie did things to me, Liam. <laughs> no, no, I understand. I mean, this is the thing, right? What this movie gets that maybe some of those other movies don't get is that it's easier to swallow what is for many people. Not everyone. Some people are just, they're, this is perfect. This is what it sure. is, whatever. But for some people, it's easier to swallow this jagged pill because it's got so much smooth, smooth Belbondo on it, right? Like, he's really helping you get this thing down, and it makes him look awesome. And, like, that has to be part of the reason he's doing this movie. So he can jump off a helicopter, so he can have a hot Brazilian dancer fall for him like all this stuff i, th- I think she was actually his girlfriend at the time too <laughs> yeah he put he put his hot girlfriend who's got to be what 25 years younger than gotta him? be absolutely at, at least 20 years let's say younger than him put her in a movie as a sex worker she doesn't mind playing a sex worker because she gets to be with belmondo because he's so cool like it like you know what i mean like there's there's just a lot in this movie that on paper should be a bummer right like this is uh this has weirdly fascist tendencies it has a lot of questionable portrayals of both uh non-white people and women um it has a scene where a very straight cop walks into a you know gay s&m club and yet in the actual experience of the movie it's not that bad it kind of goes down real easy and like (laughs) i really like when it was over i'm like did i like that as much as i think i did and i did now i some people who like this movie fucking love this movie. And I will yeah. say, I don't fucking love it. And in fact, some of the other movies we've covered on this podcast, Doug, I prefer. I prefer. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer. Uh, uh, this is obviously different than the Polizia Tecci movies we've discussed in the past. But if we're saying this is under the larger umbrella of Eurocrime, I'd rather a criminal centric movie than a sure. police centric mm-hmm. movie most of the time. That being said, though, it's really good, and I I really think if you're going to have this kind of cop movie, I'll take this over most of the other options on the table. Maybe not all, but most of the other options. I just think it works, and part of that is him, and part of that is like, I don't know, it, it feels like it's having fun with what it's doing. Um, I wish, though there is some great sort of action in it. It doesn't quite have the insanity of some of the other movies we've covered. If it really went that over the top, this might be like... A, a fave of mine just for the just for the balls of it all you know for, for the uh, audacity of it uh but it's still really strong i was really entertained by this movie uh even though i was kind of looking for things that bummed me out and they're, they're there <laughs> but like they didn't really bum me out that bad at all i mostly had a good time it kind of exists in a world between like a hollywood movie and an italian euro crime yes movie, right yes, because yes, it yes. feels like it's it, maybe it's just because it this is a movie that chronologically comes later than I think any movie that we've covered on this podcast. So the influence from American action movies is a little more pronounced, but you know, the fact that the stunts are, are bigger and that the, um, the sequences feel like they have a little bit more um, production value to the things like that. I did want to mention a moment in this movie that I think encapsulates everything about it, which is a part where Belmondo is walking through like a red light district and there's like prostitutes everywhere. And he's just walking through it, you know, he's with his cool leather jacket and he's walking through and like the prostitutes, the women are looking at him. And then he leaves, he leaves, he, he enters a building and we see a conversation between two prostitutes and she's like, who's that guy? And she's like, I would have given him one for free. I mean, the most ridiculous fucking so thing. So unnecessary in every uh, way. Exactly. Like he's something you hear from, it would be like from like a Tommy Wiseau movie or something like yes, that, right? Where yes, it's just yes. like, it's such an ego trip. To have put that line in it, and but it, it tells you everything you want to know about this movie, which is 
in the context of the world in which this movie takes place in, this is the coolest motherfucker who's ever lived. This is Fonzie. This is, you know, this is the Bruce Lee. This is everyone in one. And all the women want to fuck him. All the guys who are either uh, afraid of him or are initially think that he's a pushover and then get embarrassed and humiliated. Uh, Liam, I did want to, since we have been focusing entirely on Italian Eurocrime films on this podcast, and I mentioned already, this movie has Henry Silva, who we've seen several times. It has that score by Ennio Morricone. What differentiates this, whether in terms of tone, whether in terms of content from the movies that we've been watching so far? That's a good question, Doug. I mean, I will say that this um, doesn't separate it from all the movies, but I will say this is definitely more, um, at least from my perspective, from a more right-leaning perspective, whereas Mm -hmm. we've been surprised about the variety of political perspectives represented in some of the movies. I also will say that like, it's a cynical movie in that um, it takes seriously that the world that he that you know uh, Commissioner Jordan is operating in is corrupt, right? Like this is a place where people are not treated fa- fairly and where it's difficult to prosecute justice, which is a theme of basically all these movies. But mm-hmm. for some reason, even though its central premise is cynical, it doesn't feel quite like some of these other movies, even when they're exciting and we enjoy watching them, still feel at basis tragic in some sense like Mm. they're informed by scandal and suffering and actual real life violence and like this movie just doesn't quite feel that way even though it has real situations in it and it has real sort of uh, a a clear-eyed view of crime and corruption there's just something about it that makes it also feel kind of like detached a little bit from reality like it it still feels kind of rompy a little bit and that i don't think has been in any of the other movies we watched even the one with oliver reed still felt a little bit more like (laughs) a little bit uh, it felt a little bit more like um using reality uh or or at least a reflection of reality as a way to make the movie darker whereas this movie it takes seriously those those uh negative things but it's it's still trying to be a bit more upbeat and fun than i think some of the other movies have been i think generally and this is not consistent across all the movies that we've covered sure but there's there's been a lot of like rip from the headlines political material yeah, yeah, in yeah, a lot yeah, of the yeah, Italian yeah. movies. While this just feels like, and this is something that is expounded on in the commentary as well, that Marseille is just a place where criminals are. Right. So that's where that's where they're going to set this because you can just say, oh yeah, there's a bunch of criminals in Marseille, and now we can bring in a guy to clean up all the criminals, and that's good enough because people that's a shorthand that people would understand. Um, but and in terms of how it's shot, I mean, it's also the fact that you know when there's a car chase in this. It looks a lot more like an American car chase than it does a Italian car chase, which has those very distinctive vehicles. And just yeah, even yeah, how yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. cities are are laid out are a little bit more um, – they feel a little more foreign, I guess, is the way that I'd put it. Uh, but it, it's – when I was watching this, I could see how this movie would uh, be – easier accepted by American audiences, even though this movie did not, I mean, it it probably played in the U S but it didn't have like this huge profile like it did. And Belmondo quite notoriously didn't uh, appear in American films, but like this, this would have been a lot easier for me as a kid in the eighties to have watched and accepted and been like, Oh yeah, it just feels like an action movie where they're all speaking dubbed English. um, As opposed to some of those Italian movies where it's just like, sorry, how much time are we going to spend talking about, the internal corruption of the political government and everyone spying on each other and stuff like that, that stuff maybe wouldn't have played as well to a young version of me. Though I will say that the thing that in this movie that would have transcended any period of my life is the stunts, are the stunts generally. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, yeah. the fact that, that Jean-Paul Belmondo was known for doing his own stunts is something that really only, uh, was only something that I, I found out about around the time of his death. I mean, I knew, I think I'd heard of it certainly, but because I wasn't, experience with these films it wasn't one of those things where people like hey here's an animated gif of him doing something wild and crazy and i saw like a dozen of them after his death and i'm like oh my god this this guy is very different than the kind of actor that i thought he was and in this movie despite the fact that this is later in his action career uh and that he's 50 years old he really goes into it i mean you see him running around you see him running through traffic we see him as we've mentioned and probably the most notorious moment of this movie he he jumps out of a helicopter onto a boat and then hangs on to the back of the boat. Uh, what did you think of the stunts in this movie generally? It is a little front packed in terms of the stunts, even though it gets good at the end as well. The middle section doesn't have as much for him to do, but what did you think of the stunt work in it? 
I mean, I thought it was good. I think that it's this is probably unfair, but when we you know we we also do as people know a Jackie Chan podcast and uh-huh. notoriously Jackie Chan maybe doesn't do actually all his own stunts, but he does do a lot of stunts. He does a lot of dangerous stuff that puts yes. his body at risk. Yes, but here's the thing about Jackie Chan is that like maybe because I see him as a martial artist who is regularly putting his body through all kinds of stuff. Even though those things are still very impressive, I kind of expect him to do these sorts of things. Nothing before knowing he was doing these stunts. Nothing about Belmondo as a person said to me that guy wants to jump out of a helicopter, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he, nothing. Like in fact, I'm even I'm more surprised by him than say like a fucking Tom Cruise, right? Because Tom right. Cruise is trying to project like, hey yo, I can do shit, man. I do flips and shit. I'm Tom Cruise. You know, if Belmondo was like, I haven't run since I was 20 years old, it'd be like, yeah, no one cares, man. You're so cool. But yeah. like he has he does crazy shit. And like watching this movie, knowing that he did his stunts in this movie, it was really impressive to me because like I I, I, I can't imagine being his age and like wanting to run down the highway when I'm a rich man who everyone knows, like I'm famous. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to run down this highway. Like there's just something about it, Doug, that was like really surprising to me. Now, of course he's not like, you know, jumping a motorcycle off a cliff or like, (laughs) you know, or some of the crazy shit that like we've seen Jackie Chan do. Like that's, I don't want to like say they're equal. It's just really like, it's so unnecessary in a way. Right. Like it's, it's, it, he doesn't have to do any of these stunts. He clearly wants to do these stunts. And something about that just really was surprising to me. Now, granted, I maybe if I knew this about him already, I wouldn't be so surprised by it. But watching the movie, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Now, I, again, some of the action we've seen in the Italian movies, you think someone died filming this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're yeah, they're yeah, yeah. so over the top that it's really mind-blowing. This movie didn't have that. But it still had pretty good action. I don't know. Like, it's it's not... It's not mind blowing, but I thought it was really solid. And then the added wrinkle of knowing that he was that invested in it, it just made it more appealing to me. It's funny to think about this from the perspective of my age now compared to when I was really getting into movies as a teenager. As a teenager, I would have been like, this is so fucking cool. This old guy is risking his life and doing this stuff. But there's a part of me now that thinks this dude falls out of the helicopter and injures himself. Everyone's out of a job. You can't finish the movie, right? You, right, right. They need him to be okay in order to do the rest of the movie. The whole thing. And you don't need to have him. Like, when you see him hanging out of the side of the helicopter, I, uh, unless someone assured me, which I've read several places, that it's him, I'm not 100% sure it is him. You know what I mean? Right. It's like it's, it's not like they do a real close-up of his face, even though we see him, like, hanging out of the side of the helicopter. But in terms of the jump itself, if it was a, uh, a stuntman, I would really not know the difference. And that's kind of an amusing thing to think about. He's doing it for zero reason outside of he has this reputation. You know, when Jackie Chan broke through in the U.S., all the marketing was, here's Jackie Chan. I'm doing my Ben Stein. Here's Jackie Chan. He does his own stunts, right? He was already in his, what, uh, 40s. Right, and, yeah. And now he's like, oh, shit, I, I, I've broken through, but now I'm known as the guy who has to do his own stunts. Bill Mano didn't have that, right? At this point in his career, he could have done anything. Yeah, he could do anything, right? He could be Mel Mel Gibson or you know, eighties Mel Gibson or something like that, or Bruce Willis. You know, you he, there's no reason for him to be risking his neck. Part of it is almost certainly a huge ego, right? That that he he's like, I can do this. I'm I'm still a cool young guy, but I don't give a shit. I love watching this fifty year old running around in traffic and, and and getting in car chases. And you can tell by the way when in the car chases, you see him driving the car through a lot of it as well. I am going to jump ahead a little to the car chase here, Liam. Now, the car chase isn't like French Connection level, but it's a really impressive car chase. But really what I want to talk about is how it ends. So you have you have Belmondo driving this muscle car that is bulletproof. So bulletproof, in fact, that he can be right next to the villains who are shooting right at his window. And he doesn't even need to flinch the entire time. Describe to me how this car chase ends. I mean, he... he... <laughs> He just runs. He just murders them with his car, right? Like he just runs into them over and over. Like he, this is this is the thing. I think I think that um, you could you could make the case that we are exaggerating some of the fascistic elements of this movie, right? Right. If it wasn't for all the times he just mur- like he doesn't even try to arrest people, Doug. He just kills them in yeah. a couple of scenes. Like they're incapacitated not- and still alive, and then he goes through extra steps to make sure they're dead. 
Right. And I think that is where it's like, okay, this movie has a now again, it's it's an entertaining turd. I when he's doing it, I'm not going, Well, we've just gone too far. I'm thinking, Oh man, fuck. All right, yeah. Smash him with the bullet car. That's cool. Whatever you want to do. But and to be fair, also, he's going after them for revenge, right? They've killed yes. This friend of his who he, he was kind of a mentor to, mm-hmm. and they really didn't have to kill that guy. You know what I mean? It's not like this is just the result of... <laughs> we the- knew he was going to die. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's not like... I can see a situation where it's like, oh, this is just a tragic end that had to happen. Like, they, they, there's, they didn't have to do that. And so he, you know, he loses his mind. He goes after them in this car. They're so fucking afraid of him. And then he, you know, he smashes them. He, he makes them hurt real bad, Doug. I will say that this doesn't have the moment that you see in some American action movies where he, like, snaps. Where he's like, oh, right, now, I'm, right. now I'm in that mode. Because, like, you were just saying, yeah, he is angry. But he's not out of control. He's no. doing it very purposely. He, there's just a part. And, folks, we're not exaggerating. Like, three times he backs his car up and just continually smashes into their, at some point, corpses just to smash them good. And then all these people crowd around and they're like, wow, those guys are really dead. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and there's no consequences whatsoever for it. Outside of, like, a guy at the police station's like, oh, he's really out of control. <laughs> He's not going to lose his job. Um, my favorite sequence in the entire movie, Liam, is when he, he for some reason in the movie, every once in a while, will take a pause from the main plot for him to do other stuff. And there's the one part where he goes to, I mean, it, it does fit into the plot because he's got to find a name. But he visits, he visits this prisoner that he's put away, and he's in jail, and this guy tells him that his daughter's in real trouble. His daughter has gotten into drugs, and now she she's basically being used as this catatonic sex doll in this uh, this tenement building. And he, the guy begs him, basically, to, to get his daughter out of it. And so he goes into this building, which he's told by everybody is super dangerous. And he goes in by himself. And he just, like, beats up the guy at the front door and goes up and just... <laughs> no one... Like, there's a lot of, like, wussy, like, uh, uh, free love types up there. You know, it's kind of a weird mix of dangerous foreigners in the context of this movie and uh, young hipsterish type people. And they don't want to fuck with him whatsoever. And he finds her, and he picks her up into his arms, and then he tries to leave. And then the guy that he punched in order to get through into the building in the first place, he tries to stop him with this shotgun. And like, in the context of everything we've seen in this movie so far, you're like, there is no danger to Belmondo in this scene whatsoever. None. none. Right? They don't even think for a second that he, anything bad could happen to him, and nothing does. He drops down. He takes the shotgun. He shoots the guy in the hand. Takes the shotgun from him. He is the coolest cucumber that has ever existed in the movie. Uh-huh, but it's also uh-huh. it's just like talk about a completely unnecessary sequence in the context of everything else that we've seen. I I, I mean I think what it what I think that scene actually shows, Doug, because it's important to note. They specifically say in the movie that it is a a squat. And I think that in America, that is less of a thing than it is in Europe, right? Yeah. So um, I don't remember what the exact laws are in France, but in a number of places in Europe, you can have squatters' rights where you just – Definitely in in England. Yeah, you post up in an abandoned building, and if you're there long enough and there's no problems, that building's fucking yours now and fuck anybody else. Now, granted – a lot of places have those laws and then they don't actually uphold them when they need the land for something else. They just, you know, kick out all the squatters. But in theory, that's a thing. So when they say it's a squat, there's a sense in which I think, Doug, the movie's meant to show that these folks' fears are both justified and unjustified. In that, right. <laughs> in that, yes, this is a place where dangerous people are and there are drugs happening. But if these folks had the fucking balls that Belmondo does, they could also just walk in. And in fact, what's really clear about Belmondo, I I think in another movie, right, our quote unquote hero (laughs) walks walks into this place and has to kill everybody and shoot everybody or beat everybody up or whatever it is. Right. In this movie, he's like, yo, I'm here for the girl. If anyone gets in my way, it's a problem. If no one gets in my way. That I'm just going to leave with a girl, and I don't give a fuck, man. Like I, yep. I'm not going to bother. And it's 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 clear that the situation is gross and terrible, but it's not clear that everyone in the building is like in on this shit, right? Like, yeah. like I think that it's there's one group, and the other people are sort of in this situation. And I don't think that the 
people who wrote this script were thinking like this, these were sympathetic folks. But Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about the kind of folks who often would end up in a squat, yeah, there are people who choose that for various political or criminal reasons. There are also people who go to a squat because there's nowhere else they can go. There's nowhere else to go. That's right. And that's where they got to be. And so like, I thought that was interesting to me. And it's one of the places where I think this movie surprisingly isn't as jingoistic as it could be. And I can't tell if that's because the people who made it are not that interested in a more uh, in a more surface jingoism. They just want a very specific kind of, you know, uh, uh, fear of the outsider. They're not trying to, like, you know, be just straight up like white supremacists. They're just kind of like, yeah, there are just some folks that we want to see beat up or whatever. Um but I, it, it might also be just an, a way to represent that he is a representative of the people in some sense, right? Right, like, absolutely. That he is, yes, some of these people are criminals, but not all of them are, and he's not going to worry about it because right now he's got a specific thing to worry about. Um, I will say the scene with him before that, Doug, I think is also instructive when he goes to visit this criminal in, who's in jail, who he busted, and he wants something from this guy. But he also, like, reminds this guy who, like, the scene both humanizes this guy and reminds us that his it's his own dumb fault that he's in jail. And yeah. so it's like, hey, this guy's actually a human. Also, fuck him. He committed a yeah. crime. And I'm like, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. But I think that's what this movie is, is like, we're all just humans. Now, some of those humans have to suffer in jail for 30 years, but yeah. we're all just humans. And I'm like, okay, guys, I think we're really pushing some credibility here. But I think that's the vibe of the movie is like, if anyone in that squat got in his way, got in Commissioner Jordan's way, we would be like, okay, like if you're following the logic of the movie, it's like, okay, he can at least beat that person up, if not kill them, because they're in right. the way. But if they don't get in his way, he's like, I don't got time to worry about this. Like, I, this is not for me. You know, I'll worry about it when it's in front of me. Right now, I, I just got to do this thing. I like for him, it's like there's probably nothing worse than a corrupt cop, but right. there's nothing better than a cop that just doesn't listen to any of the rules that cops exactly. have to follow. Exactly. <laughs> well, because for, it is this mindset that I think is also very present in a lot of American films where the relationship between police and criminals is like a war relationship, right? Yeah. And so, like, you could have an adversary in the war who, like, you despise because they're terrible or who you respect even though you're they're your enemy but if someone on your side of the war collaborates right is corrupted by the enemy that's the worst thing that's worse than being an enemy right that's because they are not a, a, a you know living as a criminal they are on your side but they are working with the other side and for him that's the most disgusting possibility and you know I, i'm actually surprised there aren't any scenes in the movie of him murdering other cops because they suck <laughs> Like you'd think that would be in the movie as well, but it doesn't. Yep. It doesn't make it into the script. So let's talk about the ending of the movie. We see Henry Silva all throughout the movie. He's obviously the big bad. You know, he is responsible for sending his his goons out to do all of his dirty work. But you know, we don't really see him do much himself. At the end of the movie, and I want to talk about what happens leading up to the Henry Silva confrontation. There's a guy who has been sent to basically bring Belmondo to Henry Silva. And, but what he really is there to do is to bring him to a spot where some guys are going to shoot him while he's in the guy's car. And what Belmondo does is he handcuffs this guy to his own steering wheel and gets out of the car and hides. And this guy, who knows that now he's in, he's inside a car that's going to be shot at, and he's probably going to get killed. He's terrified, and he's begging him to let him go. And Belmondo just lets this guy get fucking murdered. And then he also kills the guy who murdered him. He could have shot those guys. Before he shot the guy that he handcuffed, oh, 100%. but he, but he doesn't. He lets them all die because he doesn't care. <laughs> also, why did that guy just leave his his gun in his uh um in his car, making it available for Belmondo that entire time? Because he was still keeping up the illusion that he wasn't yeah. just sent there to kill Belmondo. Yeah. So, what does Belmondo do when he then goes into Henry Silva's uh, house? I mean, he immediately is like. You know, he has the he has the cool gun and he's going to kill Henry Silva. And Henry Silva's like, that would be murder. Like, you, you'll go to jail. And he's like, no, <laughs> it's not my gun. Which, by the way, let's side note. I know this is the 80s and maybe forensics were not what they once were. 
But the idea that like all you need is someone else's gun and then you can do anything you fucking want, I don't think that's real, Doug. Am I, am I wrong? I mean, we, we, we see him pull on like a, a glove, right, to use this gun, right. and I'm, when he puts it on, I'm like, what the fuck? Why does he care about this glove? And then when he's like, yeah, but it's not my gun, it's like, oh, now it makes sense. Yeah, it's just it's no one saw him get in that car, no one saw him go near there. They, no one is connected to the fact that he's been on a one man spree just to get to Henry Silva uh-huh, uh-huh. this entire time. But yeah, no, he was in a different. He was uh, he was playing pinball or whatever the entire fucking time, so it doesn't matter. Well, and I think it's supposed to be. My suspicion, Doug, is that this is an escalation that they've just been pushing and pushing and pushing, and when they finally get to the point where they are just going to fucking execute him, right? That's when he's been pushed far enough to murder yeah. Henry Silva. But here's the thing, Doug. I think he could have done it in the first scene of the movie, and I would have believed yep. it for the character. Sure. Like, like it, this idea that he's just been pushed too far, and this murder is just the result of pushing a good man. I think that's the vibe of the movie. <laughs> but, like, I don't believe that he's so uh, – that that he's just been – that normally he would never do something like this, but he's been pushed so far that this is the only thing he can do. Uh, I just don't think that's true. I think the whole time the character's just kind of like – yeah, man, I I hurt bad people when they do bad stuff. Like, that's just what I do, and it's fine. And I'm not going to worry about that. We're not overstating how cool this gun is, by the way. It's like RoboCop's it's, gun. It's, well, it's so it's cool. An, it's a fully automatic handgun, which is like yeah. just a crazy thing to have. And it allows him to kill the drive-by shooter guys pretty easy, you know? <laughs> and kill Henry Silva just as – now, we do see Henry Silva reach for a gun, I believe. But, I mean, he was just going to kill Henry Silva no matter what. I mean, he was there to murder him and blame it on some other guy who is now dead. Which, is, by the way, is why the guy that he handcuffed in the car, that guy had to die too because it was his gun. So he's like, they're just going to die and it completes my cover story. And the movie ends with him like in a different place getting a call over a policeman's radio. Oh, the, bad, the big bad guy, he's dead. And like, there's no suspicion at all that he was involved whatsoever. The movie ends with him basically winking at the camera, right? He just walks towards I mean, it. Let's let's be clear. It's it's worse than that, Doug. Two police officers find him playing fucking video games. Like that's yeah. his cover. In case anyone <laughs> suggests he did this, he's like, I've been here playing a video game the whole time. And they take him outside, and the vibe of them taking him outside is you're going, uh oh, Belmondo's Uh-oh, gonna get yeah, it. That's right, that's Every, right. everything has consequences. Every action has an equal but opposite reaction. Oh, no, it doesn't. Belmondo got off. It's all a big setup for us to be surprised. And then We're all supposed to take a big sigh of relief. Like, whoo, thank goodness he, he might was as able well to get away with that up. I mean, you're right. He might as well thumbs up the camera and be like, I murdered. And that's it. You know? It's so ridiculous. But also, if you are willing to let go of whatever actual morals you have, it's so fucking satisfying, actually. In the context of the movie, it is a satisfying ending. It, it It is a weirdly satisfying ending. I think you have to think about it like this is an alternate world where the things that he's doing are okay as opposed to our world where cops do this sort of shit all the time except instead of targeting, you know, really evil criminals, it's just you or me or particularly yes. your and my friends who are members of a minority group. Right. Uh, so it's, it's you know, it. It is exactly my worst fear in terms of the kind of movies that we'd be watching. And maybe it's even worse than that because I enjoyed it so much. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's I I mean, I will say that um, the other thing we were really concerned about was uh, sort of glorified violence against women. That's true. That's not really a part of this movie. There is some, you know, violence, but but it's not like cool. Right. And some of the movies we've seen, there are points where I think we're meant to not be scandalized by the violence you know and that's that's hard when that's a part of it so that's not a part of it but on a political sense like yeah i mean it's too good natured and not real for me to take it too seriously but i do think the people who would think this movie really has its shit together some of those people are people who i don't like right like that i don't i don't think of as friends but i think for the most part it's just a fun movie like you just can't get around the fact that it's fun and i don't i don't think it takes itself seriously enough to say, oh man, this really, this really does something bad. Uh, you know, it's coming from a different perspective than I have, but like, it's such a good time, man. It's such a good time. In some ways, it's the most dangerous form of this, though, right? Where That's true. It's such an entertaining package that it's, it's like, oh, it's just, it's it. The the fascism goes down easy when you're watching <laughs> this movie. Liam, any final thoughts on the outsider? 
you know, I, I think I still, there's something uh, a bit more nihilistic about, not all, but some of the Italian movies we covered. I still think I prefer that, but I bet you if we keep looking at some of these French films, some of them are going to have all the grit and, and, and grossness that, that some of these other Italian movies have. But, uh, but I'm, I'm excited to see as we don't just limit ourselves to Italy, uh, what other things we discover. Yeah, it's, it's nice to move outside of it a little bit just to take a bit of a breather. However, Liam, on the next episode, we're going back to a Euro crime classic, one that I have never seen, but I've always wanted to. I actually was watching a compilation of trailers recently, and the trailer for 1972's Caliber 9 came on, and I was like, what are we doing? we got to watch this right now. So on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, Liam, it's 1972's Caliber 9, uh, directed by Fernando Dalio. Have you seen this one before? No, I'd never even heard of it. Uh, th- I know that it was available, I think, in the Eurocrime collection on the Criterion channel uh, semi-recently. Um, in terms of movies in this genre that focus on criminals, you said earlier that that's the kind of thing that you prefer. I think you're going to be very, very happy with this one. It just looked right up our alley in every possible way. So, yeah, on the next episode, 1972's Caliber 9. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Wild in the Streets or other great podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, if they head over to Cinepunks.com, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, there's a whole family of podcasts, including ours, uh, that they can check out, as well as writing and uh, some other stuff. If they want to dive into the archive of not just Wild in the Streets, but all the different uh, shows that we do, Doug, whether it's uh, Praising Kane, our exploration of the work of Carol Kane, or uh, we do our own stunts, our Jackie Chan-focused podcast, or a bunch of other stuff that we do, um, (laughs) they can head to cinemasmorgasbord.com, where not only do we post our entire archive, you can search the archive by topic. And I think that can be really useful for people who maybe are more interested in, in one subject than another. So you should really subscribe and then you can check them all out because sure. it all, every episode will at least have Liam and myself on it, as well as some of our uh, podcasts have wonderful uh, co-hosts that we do as well, including Jodorowsky, our podcast about Alejandro Jodorowsky, Bartell Me Something Good, which we do about the career of Paul Bartell, and George Kennedy's my co-pilot about the career of the great George Kennedy. Uh, Liam, if people want to check out the Cinema Smorgasbord on social media, you can follow us on Twitter slash X at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G, or do a search for Cinema Smorgasbord on Facebook. They can also follow you, Liam, in some places. Just look up Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z, though I know you don't really use uh, Twitter or X anymore. Um, And you can uh, follow me on Blue Sky at the very least. Just look up Doug Tilly, that's T-I-L-L. E-Y. Liam, is anything going on with Rough Cut lately? Uh, nothing too new, but we do have all our old stuff up at roughcutfanclub.com. And if you follow us on social media, uh, I think particularly Instagram, um, that's where we post all our new things. I think we'll have a poll going up soon for reprints, uh, hopefully in the next like three weeks, maybe. Uh, well, everyone check out that. And, uh, yeah, roughcutfanclub.com. Uh, wonderful t-shirts uh, focusing on genre films. But for now, Liam, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with 1972's Caliber 9. Good night, everyone. Night, night.